If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop the product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible, it's often very costly. A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country. And ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development. Welcome to season three of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Proudly present to you by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P, your favorite educator interviewer, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts, the Director of Learning, Research, and Outreach here at ISS. We're thrilled to have you back for season three. Grateful for your incredible support. With over 20,000 downloads and listens, this season, our mission remains unwavering to deliver the best practical information, insights, and strategies directly to you. Our goal is to equip you with the tools you can implement right away to delve into further to enhance your educational practices. Before we get into today's enriching content, a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others, we're right there with you. Stay in a loop about upcoming events and certifications by visiting iss.edu slash events. And for those seeking exciting job opportunities, be sure to explore our virtual and physical fairs. Get ready for a season filled with inspiration, innovation, and impactful insights. Let's make this journey together. Now let's get started. Educators and change makers is EDU Learn. Ask me anything. Proudly presented by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P. Here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts. Hey, Mike. We're thrilled to have you back with us for season three, episode 18 of our podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, give us a thumbs up and share your thoughts with a review on your preferred podcast platform. And let's dive into today's conversation. Today, we have the privilege of welcoming back Elisa Perez. Elisa is an education professional with over a decade of experience, integrates anti-bias, anti-racist, and justice-centered perspectives into her work, spanning teaching, curriculum, design, professional learning, and consulting. She has led workshops across Latin America and presented on justice and equity education in the USA and Latin America, infusing her work with an intersectional lens based on her experiences and the wisdom of abolition and justice practitioners. Our discussion today centers around self and systems identity. And before we get into the topic, let's say hello to Alyssa. Hey, thanks for having me again. Happy to be here. You too, Alyssa. Hope all is well. Before we got on here, you're speaking about like new projects or new consulting that you may have. So I just wanted to see what front projects are you currently working on or one that you just completed that really sticks out to you? Oh, I love that question. So I actually, one I just completed, was doing some work here in Mexico with a school community, really building awareness with their leadership body around how to lead this work courageously and really leaning into what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to meet folks where they're at, to provide safe spaces, to engage in conversation, to be curious, to ask the questions that they have about all of the nuances and complexities about identity and belonging work, but also to like courageously communicate clearly where is the school's commitment and where they're going and why this is what's really they know is best for the young people in their community. And it was just really fun to watch, 
to both work with that community. I rarely, because now my clients sort of span the globe. And so I don't get to do as much work in Spanish. And it was really nice to be able to do work with the community in Spanish. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it was really fun. That was, that's something that I just finished working on. And then thinking about the new year, excited. Like I said, I have a couple new clients and overall, it's just exciting to see where we are in this work. And that I think there are a lot of international schools who are recognizing that while making a public commitment statement to the work was an important first step, they're really starting to ask now what's next? What does this look like actionably? How do we take these words that feel now, if we just leave them on this commitment statement a bit conceptual, what does it look like to actually put them into practice? And it's it's really enjoyable to be in those conversations with schools as they're leaning into that. So I'm excited for that for next year. And as the world does this work, uh, what type of skills and mindsets are you giving the teachers or the students for them to prioritize and empower themselves, especially the next generation, you know, and, and in such a world that is diverse and tech driven as well, you could just add all those things together and let us know yeah. your your thoughts on that. I mean, I think for me, something that I talk about a lot in my practice is, so there's three things. Mm-hmm. One is a combination of two. I talk a lot about humility in partnership with intentionality. One thing that I think, and I've called folks out on this and I've been on calls where folks have kind of sat in this place of ongoing humility, which I think that sounds innocuous. Like it doesn't sound like a bad thing to be humble, but it started to turn into like, oh, well, I didn't know. Oh, well, that wasn't my lived experience or, oh, I'm still trying to figure this out. And I think that I recognize that that is an important entry point. Like, especially when we talk about self and systems, a lot of the work that I did with you all in this early stages of the Institute is recognizing the systems that have influenced us, recognizing the impact that growing up in this world has, which includes those media influences, those tech influences, recognizing the limitations that I have when it comes to understanding experience outside of those of my own. But what I really think this work requires is a combination of humility that goes immediately in hand with intentionality. It is incredibly harmful for us to sit in circles and talk about, oh, I didn't know, or I'm still learning, or I'm on my journey, which is something that I've started to hear a lot become this like pattern. And I think we, of course, want to give grace to folks and want to enter from that place of humility and enter from that place of recognizing, hey, here are the areas of growth that I have because frankly, I just was not exposed to this or because I'm still unlearning. And that has to be matched with, here's what I'm intentionally doing about it. Here are the intentional actions that I am taking to combat those biases that I'm uncovering. Here are the intentional actions that I am taking to, here's how I'm intentionally choosing accountability. One phrase that I say a lot about accountability is, as much as it can be uncomfortable when I sit in the discomfort of something, when I sit in the discomfort of accountability, I remind myself that this person believes in my ability to do better. This person believes in my ability to do better and they're asking me to do better. So I think the skill is the intentionality of wrestling with where we are and that humility of, okay, there's things I don't know. Mm -hmm. So how am I intentionally wrestling with that? How am I open to accountability? And as cheesy as it may sound, because I think we hear it a lot in the education space, continuous growth, continuous learning, like I have professionally been in this practice coming up on 15 years and I still have moments where I'm like, wow, my limited understanding of this experience, like, yeah, I don't know what it's like to have to navigate this world as a black woman, or I don't know what it's like to have to navigate this world as a trans person, or yeah, I don't know the realities of, you know, not having a U.S. passport because I've always had one. So I have to be willing to sit and say, oof, 
there's still some growth I have. There's still some learning. That skill more than anything is I think what will get us to a more closer to a world that's more able to honor everyone's shared humanity. Because I think it starts by being able to say, oh, what do I not know and what do I still need to know? Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider More Than University, your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Moreland University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real-world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. I love how you called it unlearning. And when you, whenever I see you present, you're so authentic and real about things that you also have unlearned. And I think that really helps take some of that pressure and it makes you, I think that's part of like your dying, how, why you're so dynamic, because then you're like, okay, this person isn't perfect either. Sometimes when people facilitate or present, you're like, I will never, ever be like, that person has just ha- has it all figured out and they're absolutely doing everything right. And they're not making mistakes and they're never accidentally or purposely hurting somebody and things of that nature. And I think that it's helpful for people to a hear that we are unlearning and the action steps we're taking and can continue to take to make sure that we do not continue to make the same mistakes. And as a teacher, I mean, I can think of a million things, not just that I've done wrong as an educator in the way that I was teaching people, but things I've said, things, beliefs I had. And Mm -hmm. now I'm like, oh, ouch. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to appreciate you for that because that makes it feel real. And as if it's not a journey, it's a journey, but like we constantly need to keep moving. Yeah. So first, thank you. I appreciate you, Dana, so much. And I, and I think for me, that was, it became almost a necessity for me in this work as somebody who is, I use this term a lot. I think you've heard me say it before, a recovering perfectionist, somebody who is astrologically a Virgo, which don't ask me too much about what that means. I just know that like I use it to justify some of my faults, (laughs) but somebody who'd like so detail oriented and, and always seeking perfection and always wanting to put my best foot forward. I would not have survived in this work if I had maintained that posture because I would have either continually beat myself up for failing to be perfect because you cannot be perfect in this work. Or I would have had to become this inauthentic version of myself who put forth a very polished, constructed version of a inclusion practitioner and who never says the wrong thing. It would have taken me so much work to keep up that facade and then internally would have continued to beat myself up from not hitting this illusion of perfection that I think for me, it became like, if I'm going to be asked to lead in this space, if I'm going to be given the privilege and honor to work with communities, the least I can do is be my most authentic self. 
the bare minimum that I can give them alongside of the expertise that they're hiring me for is just showing up as who I authentically am and who I authentically am makes mistakes and who I authentically am is still unlearning messages from my childhood. I'm still on that journey, but I'm confident in my ability to show up and still have these conversations and lead in spaces because I also can show what that looks like to actionably confront that. It's not just about showing up and saying like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, I've made mistakes. I think that posture is required of me because otherwise I'd have to be fake. And I don't think I could have sustained that. But it's also then about saying, because I know the work is ongoing, because I know that there is a constant potential to fall back into old patterns of socialization. Here are the practices, here are the tools, here are the systems that I put in place to continue to hold myself to the expectation that I see other people in their complete humanity. And I know I won't always do that perfectly, but here's how I'm I'm striving towards that. So yeah. <laughs> you, it reminds me though, you know, I wonder if people think about any DEIJ B work as like a subject, like I'm the expert in math, I'm the expert in science, right? Instead of thinking about it, so I have a tech background, right? And so I used to think when I first was being trained to in technology. I remember I went to our tech coordinator or coach. I don't know what his title was then. And I said, listen, just please help me so I don't embarrass myself in front of students in the classroom. And he said, first of all, Dana, he said, I'm going to get you to the point where someday you could be offered my job. And he said, and sec- because if I can't get you to that point, he's like, then I have failed. He said, and second of all, he said, the best thing to do is to say you don't know but you want to learn. And there's always going to be new tech. I mean, that was back in 2006, right? Think of how technology has changed now, right? But it's constantly, you have to keep learning and have action steps for yeah. forward. And I wonder if teachers think about like, or, or just society in general thinks, you know, you either know it or you don't know it. No, no, no. It is something that we're constantly, there are new things constantly coming out and yeah. I don't know. I just made me think of that because you can't ever be an expert. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. No, you can't. Absolutely. And I think, so we're, here's where I would say that is there's an importance of community. Audrey Lord talks about this in her work, like without community, there is no liberation. And this is where we engage with each other and lean in on each other. I do think, of course, there is a level of expertise required so that harm isn't repeated, right? Like if I was asked to come in and be a consultant for something that I'm not confident that I understand 
the nuances of that I can speak from learned and lived experience, I of course wouldn't want to enter into community and say like, well, I'm in my ongoing learning process and then give any sort of consultation or any sort of guidance around something that I potentially could replicate systems of harm because I don't know. So I think that there is a balance of being bringing in a level of expertise and then also recognizing that part of the skill set is embedding within communities and working with teachers and working with any community around active listening, around accountability, around ongoing learning, right? So there's an expertise that can be brought and that I think should be brought of like, hey, for example, when folks come to me as an anti-racist consultant, I can say, this is what I know. The research has shown. This is what my experience has shown. This is what a decade of work in this practice has shown are continued patterns of harm that we know we can recognize, that we know we can avoid, that we know we can do differently. And new things are going to come up all the time. So how do we also build the soft skills and to sit in the nuance, to sit in the complexities, to be able to course correct when necessary. So it's finding that balance between like, here's what my expertise and my experience in this shows us we can already work around because we know like scholars in this field, this community has told us this, this is how we can listen. And what are the skills that we're building to stay in that posture, to stay in that listening, to stay in that ongoing transformational change when it gets messy, because sometimes it will get messy. I mean, that's just the reality of the work. Fantastic. Lisa, how are you measuring all of this? Because we're we're practically speaking about consciousness and it's not really something you could put your hands on. So just trying to see like, what is your metrics, your indicators to know that something, this is something that's being improved? It's a great question. And I'm constantly like, asking myself, are there better ways to do this? Are there better ways to to get a metrics? But I, I think, so one thing that I've started to use a little bit more in my practice is something called the Kirkpatrick model of training evaluation. And I won't get into the boring details of it, but essentially it just argues, sorry, Kirkpatrick, it's not boring. I won't get into the <laughs> long details of it, but I'll give a quick overview that it's essentially just four levels of measuring results, uh, reaction, learning, behavior results. And so I think what is important for me is when I'm working with any community, whether it's a school or you know my day job working where I work in the corporate space, it's important to get to gauge where people are in the initial learning. So their reactions and their learnings, like how did you feel about that space that we just had, right? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? How did participants respond from an emotional place to this learning? Did they feel safe? Did they feel engaged? Did they feel welcomed in? Then that second level is, okay, what did you learn? Do you feel capable of saying, you know more information about whatever subject, right? You came into this session, you knew on a scale of one to five, this is what you said you knew about practicing anti-racism. Has that increased? And that's great. That's a good start to know that I created a space where folks felt vulnerable, felt safe, felt comfortable, felt engaged. I felt that they increased their learning. But what is most important is that over time, I can measure that level three and level four. Level three being in the last three months, are there concrete behavioral changes that we can see and identify and point to as a result of that learning? When I think about anti-racist work in particular, I've said this to school directors before. It does not matter if white folks in your school can speak more the language of anti-racism if the experiences of black and brown folks have not changed. So when we talk about metrics, like I've had that conversation and saying that is great that we are measuring that learning. Amazing. Let's let's make sure that the time that we're spending and the investment that you're spending is increasing in people's learning. 
But when we talk about metrics, we have to also get to that level three and level four. How has this impacted your school community? And how do we see that impact via behavior, right? Are we talking to the folks who can tell us like, yeah, my experience as a member of this community has shifted positively because I sense greater belonging, because I sense greater opportunities to learn different perspectives, because I feel more resourced and encouraged to step outside of my singular perspective and do some unlearning. When we see that increase, great. How do we know that we saw that increase? What are the behaviors that teachers are engaging in that is creating that increase in equity and belonging? And so those are the things that ultimately, Mike, I want to make sure that we measure when we're doing this work. There's layers to it, right? Like if I'm, mm-hmm. if, if the level one reaction is poor, then I have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, something about how I'm facilitating, folks aren't feeling safe to engage. They're not interested. So like that information is important because it informs my facilitation. If the level two measure of learning is like, yeah, folks aren't really walking out from these spaces saying they know anything more, then yeah, I got to go back to the drawing board as a facilitator and say, what do I need to adjust? But ultimately, when we talk about the metrics of the work, we got to get to that three and four, the behavioral shifts and the long-term results of, has the school community gotten better? How do we know? What can we put on the table to say, yes, these are actions quantitative, qualitative data that we have, that the community is a place that has improved when it comes to belonging, equity, safety. Thank you for sharing. Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Moniz, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jameson, and I'm the Global Collaborations Lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you, and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future. Another question is... Once an individual or an organization finds inequities in their systems, what's the first step that they should take? So if you, you and Dana have probably heard me talk about this before. Another model that I use in my practice is something called the four eyes. So the four eyes, I want to give credit to where it originated from, and I've never really been able to find that. So I'm just going to name that right now. I've seen it in lots of different places. But it is a framework that essentially offers, um, it's not my framework, it's It's a framework that offers everything that happens on an interpersonal level. So once something is happening on an interpersonal level between two people or between a groups of people, that is only the system 
of something that's already been embedded in a larger institution, in the larger ideologies. So when you say like, once a school identifies inequity, for me, the first step is to say, okay, like what is the root of that, right? Let's not just say, oh, okay, we've identified this inequity that, you know, we're recognizing because the young people in our community have told us now that their experiences as LGBTQ students has not felt safe. So clearly there is an inequity here between our cis hetero students and our students who are a part of the LGBTQ community. For me, the first step is not just trying to like fix it and be like, okay, mm-hmm. how do we make them feel better? Or how do we solve for what's happening because they told us, how do we dig deep into how, how we got here? Because once this moment has happened, what is the ideology that we have maybe unknowingly embedded into our community that in this particular example, there's only one way to love? Where does that ideology live? Where is it in our institutions? Where is it in our curriculum? Where is it in our how our faculty are teaching? Where, or maybe they don't know it because they don't feel equipped. They feel nervous about having these conversations. Okay, so let's get at the root of what is causing this inequity to happen because then we can start making some real action steps. Right. I think sometimes we have a knee-jerk reaction. And what I want to offer is that it's yes and. We can do the listening, do the, the harm restoration. We can say like, all right, if harm is being caused here, how do we immediately create an opportunity for healing? And also, how do we intentionally look back and say, what do we need to change in our systems so that this harm doesn't continue to happen? Perfect. Thank you. Dana, did you have anything else? No, I don't. <laughs> Lisa, we are gearing towards the end of our episode here. So I don't know if you had any last words for our listeners before you go ahead and give them where they can contact you. Yeah. So I actually shared this in the session last week because it's a journey that I'm currently on. And so I'll share this with our listeners as a reminder, because it's been something that I've been grappling with. I want to remind folks that in this work, I want you all who are listening to give yourself space to feel the full range of human emotions. I think sometimes I struggle with some of the, what would be categorized as like negative emotions. Like I shouldn't feel this, or I want to stay positive, or I want to continue to believe in radical possibility. And I've learned that particularly in these last few months, like an anger is okay when anger is a manifestation of my love. You know, it's okay to be angry because I so deeply love the communities that I get to be in, get to be a part of or be in solidarity with. And so it's okay to feel angry when that anger is rooted in love, when it's rooted in, I want more for my communities. I want more for the communities that I'm in solidarity with. It's okay at times to feel some of these emotions and know that it's just part of the larger human experience. And then ask myself, how do I sit with this? And also continue to believe in possibility, right? I think we see it like most things in the world. We put things in these binaries and we see things as either one or the other. And I'm learning to live in both, to be angry and to be hopeful at the same time. It is a complex process, but I also believe it is necessary, right? Like there's a moment if I stop getting angry at the injustices in the world, I would be worried, Mm -hmm. right? So I want to, I want to stay willing to sit with some of those harder emotions because they also push me to remain hopeful. They also push me to keep leaning into radical possibility. So that's been my journey these last few months that I thought I'd share with listeners. The best way to contact me is through my webpage. There's a contact page there. So it's alisaperreras.org. You can contact me there. You will find me on Twitter. 
don't contact me there because I haven't logged in in years. So I don't even know my login anymore, if I'm honest. But please contact me if you would like to learn a little bit more about my work through my webpage. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Alyssa, for your valuable insights and experience with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on ISS EDU Learn. Ask me anything. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share AMA with your educated friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Until next time, bye-bye, fellow educators. Thank you.